Alright, so this morning we're going we're gonna to read uh, Genesis 29, 31 through the end, and then we'll pick up in chapter 30, and we're going to read through 24 today. So, starting in Genesis 29, 31, when the Lord's... Well... Pause before I read. So let me let me do a reminder of where we are and what's going on before we hop into the hop into it. If you remember last week, Jacob sees uh, Rachel there by the well, and he is overcome with emotions and moves the rock by himself to so they can get to the well. And he kisses her, and and he thought she was so beautiful. He hadn't even spoken to her, and he just had fallen in love with her. We see that this relationship is marked by a lot of poor reasoning, that it, because of her outward appearance and not because of anything else. And then uh, we covered the deception by Laban, his uncle, who was Rachel's father, and he worked for um, Jacob worked for seven years to marry Rachel, but Laban had other plans in mind. He he switched brides and and had. Jacob marry Leah, his eldest, uh, and and it reminds us of of the deception that he did with his father Jacob and Isaac, that that um, just deception that men want to do to get what they want and how they want it, and so Jacob works for Laban another seven years to pay off uh, Rachel, his second wife. And we see in here that they did not seek the Lord at all for their leading and guiding. They weren't looking to God. What do you want me to do? As I'm going to always suggest to you, this is how you should walk, is to look for the Lord. And that's where we find ourselves. Jacob finally has Rachel, his wife that he wanted. And we are going to learn about the twelve children that Jake that comes from Jacob who received the the blessing from God to, to have more to, to be blessed and to fill the land and and a great nation would come out of them so now we'll pick up in Genesis 29 verses 31 to the end when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved he opened her womb but Rachel was barren so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben for she said the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So here are the first four children of uh, Jacob and Leah. And I want to point out a couple things. So this word unloved is sometimes translated and it literally means hated. But it's... It's not exactly like the word hated that we understand isn't really the word, the understanding that we have here. Because I don't know, you're all adults here, and hopefully anyone listening to this later are adults, but um, I, I don't know if you know how babies are made, but Leia's not 100% unloved. She's not cast away and forgotten about and, and isn't um, hated. 
She's seeking a relationship. She feels unloved, but she's not 100% hated because she at least lies with uh, Jacob on, apparently, occasion. Often, possibly. And so we have her... She's lacking some sort of relationship with her husband because all the names of her sons have to do with her husband um, and her want for a good relationship with her husband. All the names also have something to do with God, which is very interesting. Um, Because this, as we talked about last week, zero times in the beginning of this chapter was God spoken about, prayed to, worshipped, and then here in verse 31, as Leah is starting to have children, we have the Lord seeing Leah and how unloved she was. And God gives her children first. Um, And so each of the names is very interesting. It's just slowly revealing her heart, um, what the Lord's doing and, and how he's working. And it seems like on that fourth son on Judah, like now I will praise the Lord. She's kind of, the first three sons, she's kind of been longing for her husband and, and, and wanting that relationship. And she, she just really desires this human companionship with her husband that she was, that they tricked him into marrying her. So she, there is a broken relationship there. There is issues. There is family trouble. But it seems like on this fourth one that she's going to turn away from that wanting of the of her husband and now she just says that I now I'll praise the Lord instead of I want my husband I want my husband to attach to me I want you know like just I want I want I want and now she's kind of turning and saying oh, all right God I'll praise you and we're not going to see this this entirely godly lifestyle because of what's going to happen in the next chapter but but she is the first one that starts to bring the Lord into the picture and bring bring this this communication of the Lord um, to the surface because we're not going to see that with Rachel her other his other wife so we're going to hop to Genesis 30 and we're going to start in verse 1 and I'm going to read nah, probably the whole thing we'll, we'll see now when now we'll get to the mandrakes. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, "Give me children or else I die." And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and said, "Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb?" So she said, "Here is my maid Billa. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her." Then she gave him Billa her made as wife. And Jacob went into her, and Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and my, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called him his name Naphtali. So we'll stop there, actually. So so Rachel, remember, she's the pretty one that, that Jacob originally wanted, and we see her being angry and envying her sister, uh, Jacob's other wife, Leah. And a- envy, just so everyone's aware, is uh, a sin. Envying is a sin. It's, it's that wanting what someone else has. It's saying that, God, what you have given me is not good enough, 
I need what they have. And so we have to be very careful with envy because envy and greed and coveting is so quick for us to do. It's it's kind of like how the whole world orients our relationship with each other. Um, social media makes us see what other people are doing and want that. And, and Amazon or other stores and stuff will put stuff in your inbox. Say, hey, you want this, you want this, you want this. And that... It feeds on our desires of wanting, of coveting, of envying what other people have. Um, so she, she's envious of her sister. And so she demands a, a child from Jacob, and Jacob's not God. He can't make it happen. He's, he's not powerful in that sense. Um, so she, she turns to her human ways and says, All right, fine, if I can't have a child, then I'll just give you my maid, Billa. And she'll have a child for me. She actually has two. And so they're, it's kind of a, a type of marriage. And they and Jacob gets two more sons. So he's up to six now. Four with... Sorry, no, it's not six. Four with uh, Leah. Two with Rachel's maid, Billa. And the names are, again, interesting because they're about the situation, what's going on, that, that God has judged my case and he gave me a son through my maid and that they're wrestling with each other and it's it's just so true um, again you don't really see them seeking the Lord you don't really see them going after the Lord and it's just it would be better if we would just wait on the Lord and see what he has so hold on a second So we're going to pick up in verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, remember she gave the first four sons, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zippah bore Jacob a second son. Uh, then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. So here Leah gets jealous that for whatever reason she's jealous because she's got the first four sons but now Jacob is is wanting this this relationship in this life and and so she she gives her maid to Jacob as a wife and so now Jacob has four wives and uh, eight children all really young it's not like it's one after another that they're all very young at this point in time, and and it's just it's just crazy what envy and jealousy will do will build in the world. Now, verse fourteen. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. This is verse fourteen. Uh, then Rachel said to Leah, "Please give me some of your son's mandrakes." But she said to her. It is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Ishchar. 
Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So here we've got mandrakes. Mandrakes are little orange fruit. They supposedly will make someone fertile. Um, They use it as as something to help with procreation. And that's why Rachel wanted them. um, Because Rachel wanted to have children. And so we see this buying and trading of Jacob the husband with these fruit that uh, her son Reuben found. Reuben's probably 12 or younger. Um, So after... Jacob and Leah were married to, no, after Jacob was married to Leah and Rachel, he worked another seven years, and then he was with the family another six years, so the time frame we're talking about is less than 13 years, so so this is all still happening, all these children are being born at the same, kind of the same time, um, and so he's got a, a huge pack of kids in just a few years. Um, and so the mandrakes they, they bought and traded Jacob with. So it, it kind of reminds me of when um, Jacob bought his birth, bought Esau's birthright with a bowl of soup. It's very interesting the the buying and the trading that goes on. The if you do this for me, I'll do this for you kind of attitude, and we see it happening again and again in Jacob's life because that's kind of the the life that he lived. And he gets some more sons. And so here we'll go 22 to um, 26. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. So she's she's naming the child. This is Rachel's first child. She's the beautiful one that, that Jacob originally wanted. She's only able to bear this one son and named him Joseph. And he's the younger one. And the name kind of makes you think that she, she wants another son. But uh, we don't see that happening. Uh, we're actually stopped there at verse 24. So we have all this division and fighting and arguing over who gets to have a son who gets to by by the the husband and and it causes so much grief and so much arguing and fighting that that the kids will see it and it'll get passed down and we'll see in the following weeks as as people are jealous of other people of the favorites and stuff like that and and so my I want to swing wildly to the side and talk about uh, a little bit about polygamy. Uh, polygamy, sorry, Sunayo, is uh, uh, someone having multiple wives. The uh, A lot of people make up a lot of bad theology, a lot of bad teachings from the Bible. And the example that I always say is like, well, I can make a really good case that we should have multiple wives from the Bible, but it doesn't mean that it's biblical. That doesn't mean that that's what God's will is. Because I, I can also make lots of cases about murder or adultery, because those are examples we find in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that's what God wants. That's never what God's 
speaks truth to. So we need to be very wise and discerning of when we read the scriptures. So here, God is not <laughs> not being consulted. Should I marry this woman or not? Should I give my my servant to her or not? God's example, God's model for our lives is one man, one woman. And those are those are very specific terms that I'm using. One man in a relationship and one woman in a relationship, and they're married together. And we're going to hop forward and 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 look at the leadership of the church, the early church. So we're going to hop forward to Titus 1. Oh, we're going to pick up in verse 5. So this is after Jesus came uh, and... Oh, and that's that's something I want to make mention too. So, going back to Genesis twenty-nine, the son in which um, Jesus will come from, the the whom the promise will come through, is actually through Leah and her fourth son Judah. Judah is related will will be related to Jesus. So that's it's not through Rachel, it's not through any of the slaves, it's through the the first wife. It's very interesting, but through the fourth born uh, just that's that leads us to jesus now jesus lived on a perfect life on the earth uh, for our sake because we can't live a perfect life he died on the cross for our sake to to reconcile us with the the father and we're saved by his life and and he says and so often he says that we are saved by our faith and our belief to come to him and it's not by our works it's not about how much money we have or money we give it's not about how good of people we look like he says you're not good enough you can't ever be good enough to be saved by your own works we can only come to god through his son jesus and so once we we have that paul paul is the author of this book he went around telling people that he proclaimed the gospel he proclaimed jesus died for your sins believe and you'll have eternal life it's it's that easy make the lord your lord make jesus your lord and follow after him and and paul first sunaya paul went all over the place um he traveled i think in total uh roughly like twenty thousand kilometers two thousand years ago on like he went all over the place by foot and by boat like trying to share the gospel trying to share the truth about god with everybody and so he would be there for a few years um he'd find people that listened and believed and then he would leave them and say all right you have jesus you have the holy spirit now now live and so he'd move on and go tell some more people about the truth and so uh oftentimes paul would write letters back to those churches he planted and and I'll encourage them to continue in the way because there would be divisions and confusion about stuff. So here we have a letter from um, one of those converts named Titus. And he is in um, the area of Crete. And he says here, Titus 1, 5 through 9, uh, For this reason I left you, Titus and Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, husband of one wife, 
having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So here we have, it's a little job description of what the leadership in churches should be like. Um, Because as the church was forming, there were no books, there's no rules necessarily on what the church should be like. So this is Paul saying, look for these kinds of people. Find these people. And appoint them as elders. And elders, we make it into like a very like job title. It just means those that have experience, those that have come before. And, and, and there is a little bit of age involved with it. But it, there's never any, oh, they need to be 55. They need to be 40. There's none of that. It just means those people that are experienced in the Lord. And the job description starts with blameless, meaning he doesn't, you know, you don't have anything against him. And then here's where I really wanted to pick up is the husband of one wife. So here is our our example that, that God has given us that these are the types of people that God wants to be leading other people is the husband of one wife. And we don't see that so often in the Old Testament. There, there are some many instances, but we see a lot of the higher profile people having multiple wives and those multiple wives always bring trouble always bring conflict they'll bring false gods they'll bring um, jealousy and coveting and so God's system that he has made that he has given us is to be the husband and wife of one wife or husband one man one woman Um, And so here we have this rules for the elders. And so one thing I want to point out is, is is it just the elders? Is it just the leadership in the church that should look like this? Or is this not an example for all the believers to, um, to want to look that way, to be striving um, for these qualifications? And it, it is for all of us to look up to them for an example because this is what God wants of our lives. This is our job description that we should have as Christians, if we had job descriptions, and as, as, as people that follow the Lord. And, and so these same things that we read of, of who our elders, who our leadership should be, should be the same things that we should be desiring and seeking and praying for. Um, so they use the word elder there, and they use the word bishop here. There's a lot of churches that use a lot of titles and things, and they're just using the, the Greek transliteration of the words. So they're just words that we're using. There are people that represent these positions, but they're really not titles, because as soon as you give a man a title, they kind of pat themselves on their back, and their head gets big. So I'm very careful about these. 
And then after it talks about having one wife, it talks about his children, that their children should be taught and brought up and not um, be divisive or be rebellious. It's the dissipation kind of means to, to wander, to, to leave, to separate. And insubordination is to, uh, when someone tells you to do something, that they'll do it. They're, they're being subordinate, so they're, these people are being what we call rebellious. They're going a different way. They're stewards of God, meaning they, they, they're serving the master. They're taking good care of what God has given them, and they're being faithful. They're not self-willed. They're not looking to, for their own gain. They're not looking for, I want more money, I want more power, I want this, I'm going to kind of twist the rules so that I can get what I want. They're not self-willed. They're not quick-tempered. That means they're not, they don't get angry really quickly. They're not given to wine. They don't drink too much. They're not controlled by the, the alcohol. They're not violent. They don't hit people <laughs> or, or kick or, or punch walls. They're not greedy for money. They're, they're not building up their treasure here on earth. They're more worried about building up their treasure in heaven. They're hospitable. They, they allow people into their homes to, to stay, to share a meal with. They love what's good. They're sober-minded. They don't drink. So we have what we call the, the, the put-offs. These are the things they shouldn't have. And, and we've being uh, sorry. Yeah, don't have these things. They're saying what you should have is you should be sober-minded, meaning not drunk, not controlled by things. They should be just, fair. They should be holy, set apart. They should be self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught. That he may be able to, by sound doctrine, doctrine could also be the word teaching, by sound teaching, both exhort, meaning um, to call people to a different kind of a life, and to convict those who contradict, to say, hey, hey, you're not walking with the Lord, you're, you're, you're walking away from the Lord, and um, they have this, this job to try to get everyone to come to Jesus, try to get everyone to walk in the way of the Lord. And there's a nice long list that you can continue to read about. Titus is a very short book, but we have kind of the rules as they have in the church, like what you should be looking for and what you should be staying away from. Uh, I'll leave that for homework for you guys to read is Titus 1. That's really good good stuff for what, what God desires of the people in his church. Um, but so we see in back in Genesis this deception, this people that want more, that want more children, they want their husband, they want just power. And and God says these are not that's not the kind of people I want for his church, for his new um, for Christians. And so he's very clear to give us these these rules to keep us from getting distracted or, or looking to the Old Testament and finding really bad examples and following in them. He's God is very clear in what he wants and what he's looking for in his people. And so a lot of the anger and jealousy could be avoided if we were just to follow what the Lord has said and, and, and believe him and, and walk as he has expressed we should walk. So I, I want to encourage everyone to, 
to see the bad examples and learn from other people's bad examples and then see what the Lord wants and see what a blessing it is when we walk in the way that the Lord has kind of directed us to that that he wants us to walk in. Lord God, I, I praise you for the word that you've given us today, Lord. I praise you for the time that we get to, to dig into it and see who you are and what are your attributes. What what do you love and what do you not like? And, and we can see how much sin causes more sin in the world. So Lord, help us to be faithful to you and, and seek and find ways to walk that are not sinful, Lord, and not of our own strength, but we need your strength. We need your power to help us to to walk without sinning, Lord. We need your word to know what is sin and and help and your Holy Spirit to turn from that sin so we don't walk in it, Lord. Help us to be made more and more in your image so we can walk as your son walked on the earth, Lord. We praise you for this morning and for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat>